Welcome to a Slice of Orange, a podcast on North Orange County politics. I'm Jody Balma, and with me today, I have Dr. Shana Charles, who's a professor of public health at Cal State Fullerton, to talk all things pandemic and public health, leadership, federalism, and where we go from here. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So let's start. Uh, as an expert on public health, how frustrating has this past year been for you? So I do want to do a little bit of a, a caveat there. I am an expert on public health, but I'm actually also an expert on health policy in particular. So some of my colleagues are epidemiologists and they have different perspectives. Some of my colleagues are community intervention folks. I am neither of those things, but I study you know, the policies that impact their work and I study government level kind of things. So from my perspective, the frustration has come out of seeing people at the government level try to implement mandates that would help the public understand how to be safe and how to do that and seeing the public push back as if those were somehow something to be uh, upset about in the way that you would be upset about them telling you to wash your hands in a restaurant. Like it, to me, those two things were equivalent, right? If, yes. if, if the public health guidance is you know, you shouldn't have more than two households together. In the very beginning, we had rules like that, right? It, sure. it was that kind sure. of thing. And, and people were fighting against that and wanting to have huge parties. It's like, well, how, how, how do you understand that that's not right. safe, you know? And, and so well, that's really and, and you bring up washing your hand in a restaurant. Um, I spent last year sort of surprised that no one knew how to wash their hands and that we spent <laughs> so much time on what I thought we had covered in kindergarten. Yeah, well, so public health is scary like that, where you find out it's even scarier when you realize, and, and we've been teaching this for years, how hard it was to get doctors and surgeons and nurses to wash their hands properly in a hospital setting. And that when you do that, you're able to reduce right. in hospital infections, right? You would think this would be basic. And yet somehow, um, you know, and, and part of it is because we're lucky enough to live in a world where so many viruses and diseases have been conquered in the past hundred years right. that we don't realize that the reason they've been conquered is because these hygiene things are so universal and that you're right. right you maybe didn't get sick from this one time you forgot, but that doesn't yes. mean that it's not a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And, and certainly in government, we often say that, you know, there are two things you don't want to witness being made. Uh, exactly. One is sausages yeah. and the other is legislation. Um, and I feel like some of that pushback came from watching science in real time learn about this virus. So I think that that is true, where people, the public, by, by, I say people, I mean the public at large, sure. somehow expected immediate expertise from local health officers who of course have never dealt with this situation in their right. lives because none of us had ever dealt with this situation in right. their lives. Speaking of metaphors, one of my favorite ones that I've heard over this past year and I, I really think is true is that we've all been just building this plane as we're flying it. Yes. Um, you know, we're all going through it in real time. Right. And so the idea that a health officer would say something on March 8th, 2020, that then would be changed on March 20th, 2020, which is what we saw happen when yes. new information came out and would then be changed April 20th. And right. that those updates would happen. Um, it really was dizzying for people. I think you're right. Seeing how science was being updated in real time, you know, and in some sense, it was a miracle that we were able to learn so much so quickly and be able to conquer right. it. But 
On the other hand, um, you know, there was this issue of almost too much information where people were like, how could you tell me something two weeks ago that now you're saying doesn't apply? And one of those things was the the surgical mask issue. Correct. So interestingly, I just out of coincidence had started a five-year journal on January 1st, 2020. And so now this year, I'm going through the second year of it. And I wrote every single day last year. So I imagine you filled the book. Yeah, I did. (laughs) I was seeing what I wrote last year. And one of the things I wrote was that at this time last year in particular, it was a godsend to find toilet paper on the shelves. Yes. Right. We, it had been, it it was on March 8th, March 9th that they started disappearing completely from shelves. And so by the end of my, you know, a few weeks later, it was like, hallelujah, you actually found some. That was the same kind of thing with surgical masks where the original guidance was, we know the supply is going to run out like this. If everybody just starts buying up these masks and, and you couldn't find them. Right. And, and I remember being at a CVS and seeing them and knowing that this would be useful, knowing what I do, that the Asian countries had been wearing these since the SARS, um, you know, and, and seeing, honestly, even some international students still wearing them on campus. Yeah. Knowing that those kind of masks would be helpful. Um, but I left them there on the counter at CVS for people who had pre-existing conditions or asthma or something that would really cause them to need it so that they could buy it. You know, that that was a difficult decision, right? It's like, do I protect myself or do it we leave? Was, it was. And, and you know, I, I feel like so many um, lessons that we get from theory were right there for all of us to learn of, you know, artificial scarcity, that there yeah. really wasn't a need for toilet paper to be that hard to get. But the fear of not being able to get it caused this hoarding and uh, yeah. And the, and the masks were, were another thing that um, yeah. my and friends thing worked think- in hospitals, uh, you know, people were coming in and stealing them. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, I heard about the that. Medical right. professionals. Right. And, and one thing that I think was interesting also that time period that we saw last year that I think people have forgotten about kind of in the haze is that in California and, and in Orange County in particular, North Orange County, we're talking the Bramall here, sure. Birch Street, right? The places we all go. Yes. It wasn't the governor's shutdown that shut down those places. They were mainly, they were already shut down and he just caught up a few days later. So it actually was private industry leading the way. I remember walking through the Brea Mall that last weekend and um, my older child wanted to see a movie, which I was like, oh my God, really? We're, We're not seeing a movie at AMC right now. But we'll go and see. And there was one other person in the theater 20 rows back. Oh, and I'm yeah. still freaking out the whole time because, you know, we didn't know about transmissibility right. or how far away then, you know. Sure. Um, but AMC was telling me we're shutting down tomorrow. And that was a week before the governor had shut da- decided right. to shut down the whole state right. or before the county put it in. So, you know, it really was private industry leading the way, saying we need to be safe. And then what was frustrating for me was seeing the pushback of the public then saying, well, it's the government that's holding us back, that's shutting us down. Right. And yet, you know, I clearly remembered that it, it wasn't the government right. that did that. It was people wanting to keep their own employees as safe as possible. Yeah. You, know, you know, initially. Yes. Right. So, and I think that the fear of, uh, you know, for, for those who don't remember the measles outbreak at Disneyland. Oh, yeah. Before yeah. all of this, where people then didn't want to travel to Disneyland. And so the the private industry were protecting their brands, I believe, not wanting to be the super spreader. 
Mm-hmm. And then AMC getting this terrible reputation. And and that really drove a lot of those decisions. Yeah. So Disneyland had the outbreak and then AMC had a, a measles outbreak here in Fullerton. Right. And at yeah. the time, we didn't know whether or not the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, which causes COVID-19, was going to be as found to be as infectious as measles, where it hangs in the air for five hours afterwards. Right. I mean, and right. that's incredibly infectious and thank god it doesn't because it actually could have been worse which right. is really scary to think about right. that it could have I actually been very happy to be proven right that i wasn't wiping down my grocery bags and you know quarantining mm. my amazon boxes for weeks <laughs> as others were but I, I i don't blame those who did in the beginning no certainly. absolutely yeah. not i was rolling the dice yeah that that was not going to be a transmission but we just didn't know just so didn't know. Anything else that was really frustrating as we continue there, I, it's so hard to kind of go through all the iterations. Right, right. Well, you know, so I think what's also been frustrating is when I see people confusing national level data and issues with local level, right? right. Because there have been times, certainly in California and in North Orange County, where our transmission was at a much lower or different level than other places, but it, it was that way because people were following the rules and the guidelines right. that we had in place. And then we would hear about, you know, horrible things happening in other places and people would kind of put that on to here, or they would say, right. well, it's not happening here. So then maybe we should just open up and let everything. It's like, well, but the rules are keeping it from happening here. That yes. you know, So there was this kind of disconnect of understanding right. the linkage between public health. And, and also I got to say, you know, this, this goes to the broader political context. I don't understand when or why or how death threats ever became acceptable as a form of political Thank you. that someone would sit down or send a message somehow to a public health officer who right. is just doing her job so that she had to resign. And and that wasn't unique in Orange County. Right. We had health officers up and down the state. We had health officers all over the country just say, we didn't sign up for this. Right. This is we can't do it. We can't put our families Absolutely. at risk. We've been nonpartisan, right? You know, public health experts. And all of a sudden people are telling us that we're partisan hacks who are trying to right. hurt them when really what we're trying to do is save their lives. And so personally attacking by showing up on her lawn and threatening her dog, not just How is that anonymous ever thought emails. to be okay. And I, I don't think, was that person arrested? I mean, I don't understand how that's okay in any sense of the word ever. It, right. Right. And, and it is especially, uh, you know, concerning when so much of our information is out there. And so people are now crossing the professional boundary of disagreeing with somebody and, and making it personal and making those death threats and making it, you know, at the, at someone's home, they threatened to kill her dog. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that um, the, the polarization and demonization that, that was caused this past year has just been horrific to watch. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, I, I think polarization is actually not strong enough of a word um, to me because it's, it, to we me, polarization kind of you know, means opposing viewpoints. It's like, it's, yeah. it's, it's almost like civil society versus people yes. who do not want civil society, you know, or right. so I, I, I don't even know that I would describe that to being a, 
no, a polarized view as much point. as it is just a, like a nihilistic, destructive view. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So as you're talking about the numbers being so different throughout the country, you know, we're, we're clearly seeing that with Florida and Texas opening up and I'm anticipating terrible numbers from their spring breaks where college students- they're already there honestly right. i mean if you look at so there there have been these daily trackers which is incredible so i i want to put that out there too it is absolutely amazing to me that we have daily data on this this is not usual right, right. <laughs> not usual in public health that we're able to have daily tracking numbers yeah. And people are treating that like, oh, it's just a thing that, that we no, it's amazing. Right. I mean, you know, I'm a I, I study health insurance and access to care. And usually we have to wait for annual surveys to come out from the census. And you can wait a whole nother year or your your data is two years old. Like right. the fact you literally can have data from yesterday from right. all over the country. Is incredible. But so there's two different main trackers, right? There's the Johns Hopkins tracker, and then there's also this thing called worldometers.info, which has just been compiling all of, I, I think it's an automatic compilation system because Johns Hopkins is less automatic and is like a day behind usually, but um, where they compile the reports from all the counties. So, it's, it, you know, the data is only as good as all the counties report, sure, right? Sure. But if you go on this and look every day, you can see, you know, there were times certainly in the big surge of January when California had numbers the size of a country every day. We had 60, 70,000 new cases a day in California when we were at our worst. And Florida and Texas were doing much better then. But if you look now, California is one, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 a day, which is fantastic. Right. And Florida and Texas are at like 5,000, 6,000 a day, which is what they were doing before. And now they're, you know, staying at that higher level. Right. right? right. And so it's not surge, surge levels that we saw, thankfully. I'm really glad they're not getting in the 10s and 20s. Right. But they're still for the rest, you know, compared to the rest of the country, they're, they're higher um, than they could be if they were, you know, doing more to, to try and reduce the spread. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that leads me to, uh, you know, what, what's the future look like for Orange County with the vaccination rollout with uh, the, with the numbers, the governor announced that, that, uh, you know, April 15th, vaccine appointments will be available for everyone 16 and up which is great amazing great. i mean it's much earlier than i expected yeah so what does that mean for orange county will you know I, and i'm not sure who did the color system of purple being worse than red which always can be <laughs> you know i think it's kind of based on burns right it's I, red and then purple yeah. like the worst you could possibly do um yeah the department of public health did that up at the state level and you got to wonder who made that choice. Yes. But, uh, you know, so we have gotten better faster than anyone anticipated. And I think it is because of our vaccine rollout. So we and I don't think the state has gotten enough credit for its vaccine rollout, in part because for the first month or so, the data system was screwed up. Right. And so it looked like California wasn't vaccinating enough when, right. in fact, it turns out it was because when you talk to people at the county, they're saying we're out of vaccine how could it be that it says we've only used one third of our vaccine? And it turns out that data lag that, well, it, the problem was, is there was an extra button to submit at the bottom of the screen and people didn't know that that extra button at the bottom was there and they oh, would put it wow. in for the daily totals and then it would get deleted. And so oh, it looked like they hadn't given out any shots. I that is what happened. I know that. 
building the plane while we're flying it, right? Yes. And when that error yes. was caught, they were able to go back and fix it. And that's why California is now at the top where it should be. You know, I, I shouldn't say we're at the top in terms of no, percentage no. of our, our, our population. We're actually kind of in the middle of the country. However, sure. in sheer raw numbers, we are absolutely at the top, right? I mean, where our state has 40 right. million people and Texas is the people don't know this, that Texas being second only has 25 million. We're so much bigger than everyone else. Right. You know, the right. magnitude here is much greater. Yeah. So what we did in terms of that vaccine rollout, though, was we did something smart with targeting the, you know, the, the, the uh, situations in the, the nursing homes which was really where the bulk of the hospitalizations Perfect. and deaths were coming from in California. And, you know, now that it's being rolled out to everyone else, it's percolating through, but it is incredible to me. You know, we started that mid-December, right? Yeah. And so that means that those people were fully vaccinated six, five to six weeks later, depending on if it was Moderna or Pfizer. Right. So that's mid-January. If you look at the emergency department in Orange County's reports, I love these reports. I signed up for them last year. They've been <laughs> wonderful. I've been getting them since last June. If you look at their reports, you can see this huge spike in nursing home, you know, problem the 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 outbreaks and and sure. deaths and everything else that literally flattens, just completely flattens January 20th, mid-January. Wow. Just completely and it is five to six weeks after they started vaccinating and it has not gone up since. And it used to be that it was a paragraph. I'm telling you 15 of nursing homes. They're saying that these are all the ones with outbreaks just in the last two weeks. And there's these huge, huge things. List got right. longer and longer. The last one I saw, I am not kidding. Zero nursing homes and one skilled nursing facility. Wow. Had an outbreak in the last two weeks of more than two. Wow. Days. It is remarkable. The vaccines are absolutely a godsend. And absolutely. the faster that we get that out, the better we do. And it looks like Orange County is doing a good job yeah. <laughs> of getting yeah. it out quickly and getting people enrolled. And yeah. I understand that the systems have not been as user-friendly as people would like. Right. They've been right. difficult to access. I have been one of those people hitting refresh, refresh, refresh sure. for various family members who didn't know how to use the system or right. a 17 year old or, you know, whoever it is um, that is eligible, by the way, just making sure yes. nobody jumping in line in right. my household, right. not happening, yes. but uh, you know, we're making sure people get their appointments and it is, you know, there, there's all those different points and, and it is confusing and complex but it's also incredible that it's been done in just a couple of months. Absolutely. And we're going to be Absolutely. done by May. Yes. Like that's mind blowing. And I think, um, I think that that speaks from our privilege, right. Of, of just expecting Amazon prime, like the, they'll <laughs> deliver it in two, two days. I just have to order it. And, 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 and we see this throughout, right. I, I just was on social media and there's a new cookie store opening and I'm super excited because there will be cookies and other people were criticizing and saying, you don't have vegan options and you don't have gluten-free options. And, mm. you know, and and I'm thinking, right, but they have cookies. <laughs> they have cookies and yeah. we should be happy with cookies. Well, not every business can what, cater to every, every person, right? Right. And I think that we are so spoiled in our wondrous individualized options that Amazon tells you mm. what you will want to buy next and Netflix tells you what you'll want to watch next. And I have certainly seen vaccine envy oh, rather yeah. than the resistance to get vaccines. And well, and I think to, to counter that we need to flip it on its head and, and 
certainly I understand the vaccine envy because, you know, following this as closely as I did, you know, having to wait on a daily basis until I was eligible was not easy for me either. But the way that I thought about it and the way that I I hope, hope other people will think about it is when you think about it in a way, the same way mask wearing, that when I see someone wearing a mask, I know that they're protecting me. Right. If someone else gets vaccinated, that person is now protecting me, right? Because, and it's not even, now we thankfully know about the asymptomatic transmission actually gets reduced. So they, they literally are now protecting me. But even when I didn't know that, I mean, to me, it was scary back in January when we knew all the hospitals were full and I was driving much more carefully if I needed to drive somewhere just to make sure I didn't get into anything that could put me in the hospital since there were no beds, right? Right. So this idea of, well, if that person's vaccinated and they keep themselves out of the hospital, then God forbid, if I need it, there will be something there for me. Like those kind of recognitions of the interconnectedness of our society, I think help alleviate that. And God willing, these vaccines will be a one-time deal, but it's possible we're all going to need boosters next year. We don't know. Sure, right. And and, right? and so we that, might not be and, done with this plane <laughs> once right, we're done with this journey. Right. And and that was one of the other things, you know, I saw in in the questioning the science that is in real time discovering things of saying, well, they don't even know how long it will last. <laughs> like, of course they don't know how long it will last. We're all discovering this as we go. So um yeah, this idea of a completely new virus, I think, still stymies some people where they just yeah. think, you know, don't, don't have a way to know something about that. And, you know, and you can make some causal inferences or, or some, you know, inferential statements from other coronaviruses. Sure. So, you know, there are PhDs who spe- specialize in coronaviruses who can say, you know, and that's part of how the vaccine got made so quickly is that they were able to apply all that research. Right. But in terms of, you know, real, there's no real world data for something about, well, how does someone respond a year later? Because we literally have had no year later yet. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, so um, what are the biggest problems we face going forward? Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest problems we face are this idea of still continuing to accept that not everything is going to be perfect from here on out, that we need to possibly be open to the idea that there are going to be either variants or maybe God forbid, but it, it might happen. Another new virus that pops up where we're going right. to be, do- I've heard it called the dance of going in and out, mm-hmm. you know, and we saw this in Fullerton. So in the Fullerton high school district, um, one of, one of my kids is enrolled in that district and we saw this, you know, they had, they'd been doing this option, you know, since the beginning of the school year with hybrid where some students could go back in person and, and do hybrid two days a week. And some other students in a different cohort could stay online the whole time. My kid had a pre-existing condition and so chose to stay online the whole time. But her friends that, you know, ended up going back yeah, no, right. when the schools did completely go online for everybody when there was a huge surge, right? Yes. When that demanded it. And that was January and February. And now they're going back to, you know, hybrid, you know, for, for the kids that were in those cohorts because that surge is over. So, you know, we, as much as we would like to say this is over and it's a once in a hundred year event. Yes. We can't say that anymore. There's flooding, you know, and think about this in terms of the climate change issue, because it, you know, these viruses come out because the climate's changing and, and, and those issues are happening. 
you know, we've been seeing all this flooding happening in the southern part of the United States and Texas and the south and all that. And I've I've heard some mayors say we've had once in a hundred year events now for the past every year for the past three or four years. Right. right? Like we just have to expect that these things are going to be more part of our lives. So all these things that we've learned, we're not going to go, you know, running back and doing everything the same way that we did, you know, before 2020. I don't think we can. And, and I, you know, I'm sure you like me have been thinking about what are some of the good things we can take with us from this? You know, I wouldn't mind not being right up against everyone during cold and flu season. I would be (laughs) super excited if people learned how to wash their hands. Yeah. So a a side effect of this uh, pandemic has been that the, the flu season was actually crushed. And that was unexpected. I mean, even Dr. Fauci was saying all right. the way up through November, you know, we're going to have a double surge of this COVID surge on top of a flu surge. Sure. Well, it turned out that everything that we did to prevent COVID, even when it didn't actually prevent COVID and we were surging, actually did prevent the flu, which turned yes. out to be not nearly as infectious. Um, right. So, you know, I, I think we are going to keep some of those uh, lessons learned in effect. I, I think we're going to learn also that it's possible to do more by telecommunications than anyone ever thought. The funny thing is I actually have been using Zoom for years because I have a collaborative project that I work on for the California legislature that works with um, uh, UC faculty across the state. Um, And I I was at UCLA when I started this project and brought it with me to Cal State Fullerton as well. So I'm affiliated with UCLA and still working on it. And so we've been using Zoom for that project for years, but then it, it turned out to be this discovery for everyone else. Right. You can right. do this. And so I, I think there are going to be more options of that, of at least having it be an accessible option. Right. right? That you can choose to come in person to this meeting, but if you're not able to do so, we will also be broadcasting live. We will yes. have that component, you know, in, instead yes. of always making everybody go to places or, you know, right. miss the right event entirely yes i um would love to no longer have to drive to the ucla event for our transfer meeting Mm -hmm. Um, it was very nice to zoom into that and yeah i'm hoping that some of that we will be able to take with us so So politically speaking i want to go back a little bit because i realize we've kind of just gotten all all into public health and a little bit away from orange county politics you know i do want to say i think one of the things that we've gained from this is hopefully people have gained a more immediate feeling about their government. So I thought President Biden said something really interesting in one of his speeches the other day. He said, the government, the federal government isn't some faraway group of people in DC. It's us. We are the government. And I think that ethos really was brought home to bear in 2020 when everybody all of a sudden is now in your living room. Right. Right. And you can watch that County Board of Supervisors meeting in your living room. You can attend that. You can submit questions. Everybody wanted to know who are these people that are the county board of supervisors, because it turns out their rulings impact my life directly and whether what I can do. And, uh, you know, I I feel like uh, people started being much more interested in how we were governed and how these health orders started coming about. Um, You know, certainly, you know, Governor Newsom has been on, you know, his press conferences have been you know, widely attended and on TV much more than they ever were um, before. And I I do think that we're going to take that feeling of, you know, the government is something that we can influence and and hopefully be responsive to. 
And what I'm hoping that that does, I mean, what politics is supposed to do is reduce violence, right? Violence happens when people feel like they have no other way to be heard, you know, but if you are able to communicate or to run for office yourself or to, you know, be able to understand what's going on in the public system and participate in a different way, then, then hopefully we won't get these horrible situations like we were talking about before with death threats and, and with violence. Absolutely. I think, I think it's an excellent point. I, you know, I, the, the, the pandemic hit right after the primary election where many of our local officials were elected, the Orange County Board of Supervisors, the Board of Education. And, you know, just a couple of months later, people are saying, you know, who elected these people? And <laughs> you right. did or you didn't. But those yeah. are the people I've been asking you to care about and pay attention to. And and so I hope that that will continue um, now I that the, so I really do. The spotlight has sort of revealed that. I think that this year has definitely been one for revelations, um, and and that. And and you were telling me that you are actually writing a book about a yes. lot of these things. So tell us about that. So I teach a health policy class every fall um, for Cal State Fullerton, and every fall I, I make it relevant to what's going on at the time. And I always have a focus on these different levels of government because I want the students to feel like they know how to impact and if they want to make a difference who they can contact you know how they can find out who's at the county level you know just knowing what a, a board of supervisor is you know a supervisor position is that kind of thing right so last fall i started thinking about well the fact is is that covid-19 is the issue right now and what we're seeing and what we saw over the summer i mean you know my class starts in august i'm thinking about it in june and july you know to put it together what we're seeing is in real time a federal government that is deciding to take a, a totally different track than in California, our state governor. But we also see other governors around the country doing different things. And then we see counties doing different things, even here in California and cities and even school boards. My first case study for them was on a school board. Right. And, and on the and, and the fact right. that school boards decided to continue not only to shut down their schools, but then to continue providing lunches. Yeah. Right. And, and how they made that work. So. For all the kids that were getting the free reduced lunch meal, right? Yeah. So um, that spurred in me this whole dis- th- you know, thought process of that COVID-19 was really showing American federalism and, and yes. what it does and what all the complexities and some of the weaknesses and the limitations of it, but also some of the strengths because you know some of us were very glad to live in a state like California with right. strong rules as opposed to states where... I was yes. hearing, um, you know, on social media from my friends in states uh, that were in other places going, I can't even leave my house because there's nobody wearing masks and I can't, you right. know, the surges are too high, right? All these things. And so I got this idea and I started presenting it to the students in terms of COVID-19 is illustrating this in federalism. Let's look at it with masks. Who can do a mask mandate? Can the federal government do a mask yes. mandate? What the state, you know, what are the different powers? Let's look at the different, use COVID-19 as a lens of looking at all these things. And so then I realized, well, this is a a fabulous topic that has an immense amount of richness and is also incredibly useful for people in the future who will be facing these issues. And we'll just need to know what questions should they be asking? What frameworks can they use to think about this? So then I I took my class that I created in the fall and I put it into a proposal. And now they're, they're giving me some time this fall to be on sabbatical and to work on the book. Um, which is going to be called COVID-19 and American Federalism, How a Virus Revealed Who We Are. I love it. That's I, my title. Yeah. And uh, now I, I have to write the book it. to go with it. 
(laughs) Absolutely. I, I think that it is such an incredible case study because it touches on levels of government that, you know, just usually are not impacted. Usually you don't have your healthcare agency involved with decisions that are then politicized as we saw across the country. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting because I actually do have a master's in public policy and a bachelor's in political science, you know, from, from a top institution from UCLA. And yet really most of the focus was on the federal level. And when you talk to the general public, they really just think about, I vote for the president every four years, right? And they don't think about all these other levels. And it, it isn't until you start working, you know, right. away, you know, actually on the ground in policy that you, you get that the impact of all of those other levels is so profound. Yes. And I think that needs to change. So that's one of the things I'm hoping with this that this book does and also that my class has been doing for my own students the past few years is not that the federal government's not important. Of course, we spend a lot of time talking about the federal government and right. what they do, but that it's really important to also know that not only is there a Department of Health and Human Services at the federal level, but you have a state Department of Public Health and you have a county Department of Public Health. And right. in some cities, there might even be a city department, like, like Long Beach and Pasadena. Long Beach. People are saying, why is Long Beach able to do what they want with right. their well they have their own city department of public health it's yes. a different situation right which so, i did not know before the pandemic see <laughs> i right, had no right. reason to know that long beach had their own public health agency okay yeah yeah well they started doing amazing things so it is um it is important to know kind of even to know what questions to ask right yes. and to know that those public health if you're working in health policy to know who these agencies are, and I'm going to use COVID-19 to illustrate all those different options. Yeah, and hopefully in the lot. future, we will, um, you know, future leaders will kind of have this imbued in them already. And then, you know, God willing, we'll be able to do an even better job next time than we did this time. Because part of the problem of what we did is we didn't have an understanding of just how much our own individual actions affect the collective. Right, right. And and when we compare internationally, it was fascinating to see, um, and, and, and I shared this with my students in, in real time, of, you know, the leadership qualities that you want in a disaster are not necessarily what you want when times are good. And that sometimes an autocratic dictator can really quash the the, the, the the surge because you just all do what the government says in a unitary system. Yeah, right. That's that's a different where I want to live. Right, right. And so that that is an issue. And you know, trying to balance this idea of we have to get people to do the right thing on their own as opposed to yes, we order them to do the right thing or we right. Know, but, you know, there are also democratic collective, con- you know, democratic countries Absolutely. that did a very good job. Right. So it- with women leaders. <laughs> well, I don't know whether it says something about the ethos of the country that they are, you know, able to promote a woman into that position right. and are also able to. I mean, I don't know if that's correlation or causation is what I'm saying. Exactly. Exactly. So so um. I really appreciate this. I don't know if there's anything else that that you want to add that we've missed. No, um, I think we've we've covered it really well. And I realize I'm looking at the watch. I, we've gone a lot longer than. Um, but it's been fun. So, I'm glad. so yeah. I I end with some questions just to kind of get to know you. Um, what's the best advice you've gotten, whether you <laughs> took it or not? 
Um, you know, so I had a, a mentor at UCLA named uh, E. Richard Brown, um, who uh, was just an incredible, you know, force for good uh, in this state in health policy. And when he passed away in, in 2012, the state assembly actually stopped and gave him a moment of honor, you know. Um, so uh, he has given me had given me so much so many pieces of good advice. But my favorite um, of all of them was it's better to get it done right than to get it done, you know, as quickly as possible all the time. Right. And now I understand deadlines are important and I understand things need to move fast, but I, I appreciated that uh, he cared so much about quality, you know, knowing that, you know, what you do in this world um, reflects on you, stays on your, you know, resume. And, and it's important to make sure that um, things are getting done right. I love that. Yeah. I think it's an important reminder and not having to do it again. <laughs> yeah. So besides the book that you're in the process of, of writing, what's one <laughs> book that you like to recommend to people? Well, you know, I'm one of those people that I like to find out what people are looking for first um, before I recommend something. Um, cause, uh, you know, in my, in my spare time, I read a lot of fantasy and science fiction. And so if you're inclined on those ways, I like to do that. Um, but, you know, in terms of just kind of thinking about um, interconnectedness and how important uh, that it is that uh, we all, you know, pay attention to what's going on around us and the world around us. You know, I, I actually usually like to recommend a, a book by the Dalai Lama called The Art of Happiness. Oh, such a good book. Yeah, <laughs> you know that such one, right? So I, I, you know, I, that one helped me um, considerably uh, when I first read it uh, quite some time ago and uh, just helped focus on, you know, not only thinking about myself internally, but also what other people are going through externally. And I think to have some compassion. So even uh, compassion for the people who feel so frustrated and so disconnected that they feel that the only thing they can do is to, you know, death threats and, and violence, right. right? How can we make it so that this isn't something in our society because people don't have that right. um, disconnectedness. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So is there a hopeful message you can share with our listeners? The vaccine makes me hopeful. I mean, I, I, it's a medical miracle. If you have any time to go read any of the articles about how the vaccines were created, it really is, you know, incredible. Um, the decade or so of work that went into something that seems to us to have taken only, if, you know, six months or so. Right, uh, right. So, and, and potentially incredible um, advances in other areas, right? With with this, yeah, I've heard that uh, the the same technology is being thought of as a way to possibly uh, be able to cure cancer, you know, okay. and and to really kind of finally crack that code and and to do right. that. I mean, it really is amazing. So, I I am hopeful that we're going to get to a, a good place that is a new normal. Um, I don't think we're going to ever go back to just the old normal. I think we're going to look at movies of that time period as being strange, but you know, it's possible the new normal might just be as, as easy as well, if we're all vaccinated and we, you know, we could get back into that 50,000 person Dodger stadium. Maybe we will be able to. Right. right. Yeah. And I, you know, Disneyland at 50% capacity doesn't sound all bad to me. Right. Yeah, I, obviously there are profit margins to be made and, and other considerations, but um, yeah, changing the normal is is a good goal too. So um, finally, who should we talk to next? 
uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to remember who you've already talked to. I know you've talked to a lot of people here in North Orange County. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's so many people to talk to. Um, who should we talk to? Mm. Well, I know you've talked to all of our local state senators and assembly people and all those, those good I'm folks. making my way down that list. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anybody working on the ground in public health that we should talk to, maybe that I'm not familiar with? So if you haven't talked to Dr. Margaret Bredhoft, who's the new director of uh, the public health department within the Orange County Healthcare Agency. So she's right under Clayton Chow. Yeah. And certainly Dr. Clayton Chow, of course, would also be you know fabulous. I, was, I, I mean, he's a little busy right now, but he's on my list too. Yes. Um, I had Dr. Bredhoft as a guest speaker last fall, um, and she just started with Orange County Healthcare Agency in mid-July. Wow. Okay. So she signed up during the pandemic, and Great. she's excited about doing that work and about the work of, and, and it was her department that really reaches out to the skilled nursing facilities that organizes all of that, not just in terms of vaccinations, but also she was doing programs in terms of emotional health and dealing with behavioral, you know, depression issues and and all of that dirt. She, she signed up for that. I mean, again, we we talked about it. There were so many people who gave up and said that they couldn't handle it. And, And of course we wouldn't expect anyone to work in those kind of conditions of death threats. But, um, the fact that she knew that had happened, yeah. And then said, yes, Orange County Healthcare Agency, I want to go in there and do this now. Right. Um, well, and, and that's on person. my list to do a show about the mental health um, and what Orange County is doing, because there are huge, huge issues of mental health. And so that's a great place to start. Yeah, so, thank she's, you. she's uh, very inspirational. I, I really right. found that to be, you know, something and, and something else to be hopeful about, I should mention, is not only people like that who are signing up in the middle of all this to do it. Um, but I don't know if you've heard this, but medical schools and nursing schools have received record number of applications. While a lot of people who are working there now are saying, you know, we didn't sign up for this and this is hard. There's a whole nother new group of people who's looking at this new world and saying, I want to help. This is what I want to be able to do is to help people through this. I'm going to do this now for the first time. And it is hopeful. Yeah. Incredibly hopeful. So I love that idea. Um, and, and that inspiration can often propel you through some pretty tough times. So yeah, you know, there's one other person you might want to talk okay. to just because I want to hear this interview. Cause I don't know much about him. There's a guy named Jason Kraft with a K yeah, online. He is a data analytics guy. I reached out to him a little bit, um, early on, but he just seems to be kind of in his own world. He's not a public health guy, He's right? A data analytics guy who just cares about these issues from data. But since COVID-19 hit, he has been doing a daily data presentation um, that's honestly, it's worthy of a dissertation. <laughs> I, yes, <laughs> I work is amazing. Um, Jason Kraft is one of those individuals, you know, he, he ran for office in Brea and um, mm. has just stayed, you know, didn't win in that time and, and just stayed involved and just such a true community servant. Right, he keeps really it's incredible. informed. He does deep data dives, not just on this, by the way, but on planning, on construction. On, I mean, he 
And that's that can sometimes take a pretty thick skin to be the person providing that information as the daggers and arrows come in. So I love the idea of talking and not employed by the county or the city or or and as far as I see, doesn't have like a public administration degree, like for some somehow does it as a hobby, but seems to do it better than many of the professionals. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Oh, and I I should also tell you, Margaret Bredhoff's team is the one that's been doing the dashboard on uh, for OCHCA. So they're in charge of that, which also I've been incredibly impressed by their dashboard and and their updates. They have a really good dashboard. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you. The data person, those are the people that I've been following. (laughs) Those are some good ideas. I appreciate that. So thank you. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to people soon.